Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. In our biography discussion tonight, we will examine uh, one of the very important and believing wives of the Prophet who's Maria Al-Qabtiyya, Maria the Coptic. Her name, her first name is Maria and she was the daughter of Shamoon the Coptic. Maria was born in the village of Hafen or Hafen, which is known today by the name of Qaryat al-Shaykh Ubada. What do you think al-Shaykh Ubada is a reference to? Basically there's a mosque, there's a masjid in that village which was named after the companion Ubada ibn Samit. Ubada ibn Samit was one of the companions of the Prophet and there's a masjid dedicated to him in that village so it's known today by the village of Qaryat al-Shaykh Ubada. Mary the Coptic, Maria the Coptic was born in that village. Uh, it's, a, it's a village that's about three miles, uh, three kilometers long situated on the Nile River. It's about 300 kilometers from the capital Cairo and you know this village was the base of the Coptic Christians in Egypt. There were Coptic Christians and their base was this village. Her mother was Roman, she came from Roman origins. Now at the time of the Prophet there was a king in Egypt ruling in Alexandria, Al-Iskandariya, his name was Al-Muqawqis, in Arabic we call him the Muqawqis. What is he in English? Any ideas? Muqawqis, what's the equivalent in English? Cyrus. Many scholars have mentioned that the Muqawqis at the time of the Prophet was actually the Cyrus of Alexandria. He administered you know, Egypt on behalf of the Christian uh, Byzantine Empire. So the Muqawqis was ruling on behalf of the Byzantine Empire but he was based in Alexandria and his name was Cyrus. Yes there are some who believe um, Al-Muqawqis was a Greek man known by the name of Kyrolos and he was the leader of the Copts but that's not a, a widely accepted opinion. Most scholars tend to accept that it was Cyrus of Alexandria, uh, he's the Muqawqis that we have in our hadiths. Now What's the story of Al-Muqawqis, whoever this Egyptian king was, what's his story with the Prophet The Prophet when he goes to Medina, he starts sending letters to multiple tribes around Arabia, to even other nations. He would uh, send letters to the Romans, he would send letters to the Persians, and he would invite those leaders, kings, rulers to accept and embrace the religion of Islam. In one of those instances, the Prophet sends his companion Hatib ibn Abi Balta'a. Hatib was one of the companions of the Prophet. The Prophet tells him, go to Egypt and meet Al-Muqawqis and invite him to the religion of Islam. According to historical accounts, this is the text of the letter that the Prophet sent to this Egyptian king. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. 
من محمد ابن عبد الله إلى المقوقس عظيم مصر. This letter is from Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, to the great leader of Egypt. Assalamu ala atba'i al-haqiqa. Peace be on the followers of the truth. Amma ba'd. فإني أدعوك إلى الإسلام. I invite you to the religion of Islam. If you accept my invitation, Allah will multiply your reward. And if you don't, Allah will hold you responsible for the deviation of the Coptics. You're the leader of the Coptics. If you believe, Allah will intensify your reward. Otherwise, you will be held responsible. The Muqawqas took the letter from Hatib and he started to contemplate the words of the Prophet the seal of the Prophet. Then he put it in a very respectable, valuable case. And he told Hatib ibn Abi Balta, the companion who brought the letter, tell me about Muhammad. Tell me about his message. Tell me about his character. I want to know about his life. When he hears the words of Hatib, he starts to feel confident that the Prophet is indeed a messenger sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But does he accept Islam? No. Why? He said to Hatib, look, my understanding or my expectation was that the last messenger would emerge from Sham, the Syria region, because that is the cradle of Prophets the Holy Land, the Palestine area. Now that I come to know that he's come from Jazirat al-Arab, the Arabian Peninsula, I don't think the Coptics will follow him and they will oppose me and I'm not comfortable pressuring them to accept the Prophet that I know they're not going to accept. Had he been from the Palestine area, we would have accepted. But the fact that he comes from the uh, Arab lands, my Coptic people, will be reluctant to accept. So I appreciate the letter that the Prophet has sent me. I don't reject his prophethood, but I will not advocate for his prophethood. So he apologizes from Hatib. But to show his appreciation to the Prophet, that look, I'm not against you. I, 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 I appreciate the letter that you um, sent me. So he gives the, the Prophet the following reply. He says, I've read you, your letter and what you were calling me to. But honestly, I thought the last prophet was going to come from Syria or Ardashan. And to honor you, I am sending you valuable gifts. I am sending to you two slave girls from the Coptic lands. And I am sending you a number of other valuable items, money, valuable garments and clothing and so on and so forth. He gives the letter to Hatib, he says, I apologize, um, the Coptics are not going to accept this invitation, go to your Prophet and give him my gifts. So Hatib goes to the Prophets with two slave girls, their name were Maria and Sirin. Sirin is actually Shirin, her original name was Shirin, but the Arabs would pronounce it as Sirin. In addition with the money that Cyrus sent to the Prophet and the valuables, he also sends a man who was a cousin of Maria, his name was what? Jureyh. He also sends him to be there, you know, serving them. Some sources indicate that when these two sisters, 
those two slave girls, Maria and Shirin, when they left their hometown, they did not know what was going to await them, so they felt sad. You know, being taken into slavery and being gifted to someone, will they be treated well or not? They really cons were concerned. So Hatib sensed the grief and the disappointment in them. So he started to tell them about the Muslim community. He told them, look, don't have any fears. You're going to a Muslim community and let me tell you about the Prophet. These are his qualities, these are his descriptions. When Maria and her sister heard about the descriptions of the Prophet they became fascinated. They said, wow, this seems like a very decent man. And in fact, everything that you say about him fits a Prophet. So we look forward to going and meeting the Prophet And some sources indicate even before they arrived the city of Medina, they became Muslim. They said the Shahadatain and they believed in the message of Prophet Muhammad when they heard the descriptions of the Prophet through the words of Hatib. So they converted on their way to Medina. What year did this happen? Year 7 of the Hijrah, they arrived Medina and the Prophet had just returned from the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. So this is before the conquest of Mecca and after Hudaybiyah in year 7 of the Hijrah. The Prophet looked at the letter of Cyrus, he accepted his gifts. Um, basically the monetary gifts, he divided them amongst the Muslims, he gave it to them. As for Shirin, the sister of Maria, who married her? Hassan ibn Thabit. Hassan ibn Thabit is the famous poet. He would go into the mosque, he would recite poetry, honoring and praising the Prophet. So Hassan ibn Thabit marries Sirin. Well, who marries Maria? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi He's the one who actually uh, marries her. Initially, the Prophet had her stay in the, in the house of Haritha ibn Nu'man, which was right by the mosque. So he was like a neighbor to the Prophet. She stayed there for like a year, for a while. For an entire year she stayed there, but then uh, you know the Prophet was very happy with her during that year, she was very obedient, very kind, the Prophet loved her dearly and some of the wives of the Prophet, they started to grow jealous, specifically Aisha and so you know they basically asked the Prophet not to spend that much time with her and to have her relocate somewhere else. Sometimes they would belittle Maria because she was brought as a slave girl. But remember that we do have instances of previous prophets having, you know, children and even marrying slave girls. And so Maria would think of those previous prophets who did have a special bond with a slave girl, a blessed marriage that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know, had uh, allowed for the prophets. Which great prophet of God had an amazing progeny from a slave girl? Ibrahim From who? Hajar. Hajar was a slave girl owned by who? Who owned Hajar? Sarah, the wife of Prophet Ibrahim, who was also a relative of Prophet Ibrahim. She owned Hajar. They couldn't conceive, they couldn't have children. So she felt bad for Ibrahim. They told him, look, I, she told him, look, I gift you my slave girl and you marry her. 
inshallah Allah will give you a progeny. He does, when Allah gives him Ismail, she became jealous. She gets the, the boy and I don't, I don't have any children. She told him, look Ibrahim, I, I can't stand her here, leave. Leave this town, they were in Palestine, leave. So Allah commands Prophet Ibrahim to take Hajar along with the newborn Ismail to Mecca. Uh, yes brother. Um, is this Sarah the sister of Nabi Lut? The sister of Nabi Lut, I don't know. We do have in the hadith that she's the daughter of a prophet. So her father was a prophet, but I'm not sure if her brother was Lut. Because uh, no, see the, the Nabi Lut was the nephew of uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim was his uncle. According to our Aqeedah, um, a prophet has to be the son or the grandson of a prophet, right? So even Nabi Lut would have to be... No, the prophet doesn't have to be the son or grandson of a prophet. Yes, they have to be, he has to be the son of a believer in God, but it doesn't have to be a prophet. Who? No, no, Lut was not the son of Azar, no. In our hadiths, uh, Lut is the nephew of Ibrahim. So Ibrahim is his uncle. So no, Lut was not the son of Azar. So the story of Maria resembles the story of Hagar, Hajar. Yes, she was given as a slave girl to the Prophet. The Prophet accepted this gift from the uh, king of Egypt, Cyrus of Alexandria. But then the Prophet married her and he showed her so much respect. There's nothing humiliating about that. So some, you know, um, wives of the Prophet, they basically grow very, very sensitive. And when they see how much the Prophet loved Maria, they started to express jealousy. And remember when we talked about Hafsa uh, a few weeks back, we mentioned the conspiracies that she and Aisha would come up with. It was mainly involving Maria. They came up with another number of conspiracies which Surah Al-Tahrim talks about. Allah condemned them in the Quran for coming up with those conspiracies. And those conspiracies were driven by their jealousy uh, for, uh, you know, of Maria and also their lack of belief, full belief in the Prophet According to Sunni hadith, Aisha says, ما غرت على إلا دون ما غرت على ماريا. I never became jealous of any woman like I was jealous of Maria. Aisha herself is admitting. So initially she was in the house of Harith ibn Nu'man, but then, you know, later on the Prophet had her relocate to one of the suburbs of Medina. It's called Al-Aliya. Al-Aliya is one of the suburbs of Medina. Maria starts living in the suburb of Al-Aliya. Aisha says when the Prophet relocated her there, we even became more jealous because at least she was close, the Prophet would go in and out. Now he would go there and spend more time uh, with Maria and that basically uh, upset us. By the way, there are some historians and scholars who dispute Aisha's claim that the Prophet would spend more time with her. They think maybe that's just a justification Aisha would use to attack Maria or to justify why she was jealous, right? Uh, otherwise, there are historical reports that the Prophet was very responsible and he would give his wives equal time. So the way Aisha describes the Prophet spending his entire day and night with Maria, that's disputed. We're not sure if that's really accurate. Maybe she just said that to justify all the commotion she, you know, made, right? 
So some scholars have mentioned. Now, something new happens with Maria. She becomes pregnant after her marriage to the Prophet and one year later, in the year 8 of the Hijrah, in the month of Dhul Hijjah, for the first time after Khadija, Allah blesses the Prophet with what? A child, a baby and it was a son. Jibra'il comes to the Prophet and he gives him the news. He told him, Assalamu alayka ya Aba Ibrahim. Peace be upon you, O the father of Ibrahim. So Jibra'il was commanding the Prophet to name his son what? Ibrahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you right now a son from uh, your spouse, Maria, and he commands you to name him Ibrahim. And Allah congratulates you for this birth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make him the light of your eyes in the dunya and the akhirah. So she gave birth to Ibrahim, Maria gave birth to Ibrahim on the 8th of the Hijjah, year 8 of the Hijrah, no not, not the 8th of the Hijjah, in the month of the Hijjah, year 8 of the Hijrah in Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara. But the tragic um, event is that how long did he live? Less than two years. So when he was still breastfeeding before he was even weaned, 18 months later he dies and the Prophet embraces him in those final moments when he was struggling with his uh, you know, illness and uh, basically he was an infant who died in the arms of the Prophet He died in the year 10 of the Hijrah, so about two years later, so he did not survive. And the Prophet was very disturbed by this, in fact he was seen crying, uh, one of his companions told him, Ya Rasulullah, why are you crying? Are you objecting to the will of God? The Prophet said, no. You know, he famously stated his words, The eyes can be tearful, we can cry. The heart can feel sadness, that's okay. But we don't say that which angers the Lord. I'm not objecting, but I'm a human being, I'm sad, it's okay to cry when your child dies. So, you know, some ignorant companions, they thought this was not okay. So the Prophet was really disturbed and historians have even recorded that a solar eclipse happened uh, on the day that, uh, you know, Ibrahim passed away and some people was, were saying the sun eclipsed because of Ibrahim's death. The Prophet said, no, the sun and the moon are the signs of God, they're not eclipsed for the death of any human being. So don't make that connection. Up until now, yes. Yes, Qasim was born before Ibrahim, and in fact, uh, Qasim, or some even call him Abdullah, maybe as his kunya, uh, he was the son of Khadija, and he died in Mecca. He did not survive even into the days of Islam. Some have also mentioned Al Tahir. It's not clear whether the Prophet had two sons that died from Khadija. His name was Qasim and then maybe a title Tahir and then maybe another title Abdullah or there were two sons. So some historians believe there were two sons, Qasim and Tahir and his kunya was Abdullah whereas some believe it was uh, maybe one. But there are a lot of historians who believe two sons of the Prophet died in Mecca and one in Medina. So in total the Prophet had three sons who died. Two from Khadija, one from Maria. So the Prophet 
basically he um, uh, prays on his body and they bury him where? At the Baqiyah. Today you can go and you know the location of Ibrahim's grave is even uh, known.